of a clear blue sky and the tears that I cried for that woman gonna flood you big river and I'm gonna sit right here until I die I met her accidentally in St. Paul, Minnesota and it tore me up every time I heard her drawl, southern drawl then I heard my dream went back downstream to Borton and Davenport and I followed you big river when it called Well, hello, and welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, I'll be uh, finishing up my thoughts about The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain, which will get us pretty close to finishing up our series on Mark Twain's Mississippi writings. Um, the first volume of, of Mark Twain's writings included uh, published by the Library of America. So... Um, I think if you've listened to the last two episodes where I covered the first two-thirds of this novel, you know more or less how I, what I think about it. Um, and I, I don't think that's a particularly like unique or you know, or distinctive interpretation. I think these ideas about this novel have been out there for a while. But, um, but anyways, um, one thing I talked a lot about in the last couple episodes was the interaction between... Huckleberry Finn and the adult world, right? And the kind of the the, sh- the cloud that overhangs this is not the N-word. It's the infantilization of Jim, right? Because if all adults are bad, Jim is not bad, then is Jim not being treated as an adult? And then the question is, is that like racist or is that like a reflection of how America saw African-Americans in slavery with the paternalistic logic is that, uh, of course, there's, you know, the argument that it's a form of the rebellion or the resistance of enslaved men and women to put on a facade of, of childishness in order to um, craft out a space of freedom for themselves. Right. And I, and I think that's happening here, too. Huck Finn's is able to craft out a space of freedom for himself, too, by playing the adults against their own values. All right. So I, I do think there's a radical reading of, of Jim in that space. Um, but, you know, it there at the same time, it seems like being moral doesn't seem to require grow, like it requires never growing up. Or growing up just enough to reach moral maturity. That's what I was saying last time. So Huck Finn spends all of this novel in rebellion against civilization, right? He flees Douglas, Widow Douglas and Pap, and he wants to go on to Indian country at the end. So anyways, what happens in the last part of the novel, right? You, you probably know. They eventually make their way to the Phelps farm, um, which where the Duke and the King sell um, Jim to the Phelps. And so Jim is re-enslaved, essentially. And so, of course, the con artists, they're con artists. They didn't have the right to do that. But then they, they, they leave. And later on, they're like tarred and feathered. They try to do the royal nonsuch again. And, and we get this backstory later on. Um, but... Um, they run into the Phelps and the Phelps are actually like relatives of Tom Sawyer and they think Huck Finn is Tom Sawyer. And later on, Tom Sawyer comes and he realizes that this is going to be, a fu- uh, you know, fun 
to play essentially a game about this. So he says he's Sid, you know, like um, Tom Sawyer's younger, older, his brother anyways. Yeah, I think it's the younger brother. We met him in the adventures of Tom Sawyer. And then now, now Tom Sawyer by this point knows that Jim has been actually legally freed by the widow Douglas because she died. But she doesn't, he doesn't tell uh, Jim or Huckleberry Finn this. Instead, he just wants to play. And so Jim, by the end of the novel, becomes a plaything of not Huck Finn, let's be clear, but of Tom Sawyer. And that certainly uh, casts some shadow over how we interpret and think about his particular character. But what is he going to play at? He's going to play at what we'd expect Tom Sawyer to play at, which is literary archetypes, popular fiction archetypes. And he's done this throughout his stories. In the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, you saw him play pirate or bandit, and that's kind of picked up early in the story where Huck Finn is part of the bandit gang with, with Tom Sawyer. That's how they spend their time together. And, of course, Huckleberry Finn goes on and has real adventures, not the fake ones, not the imaginary ones, but Tom Sawyer wants to just essentially play with Jim and Huck and act out an escape. And so they play these, he, or he, I should say, not Huckleberry. Huckleberry Finn is always earnest throughout this. And the game essentially is like, oh, we got to like uh, put rats in his in, in the place he's living because prisons have rats. Or we got to have him write his memoirs on a bloody shirt, you know, on a, on a T-shirt with blood or something. Because that's what happens in the novels, or the escape has to be this way. Because that's what it is in the novels. Tom Sawyer is fully uh, memeized. I, I mean, he's everything's a meme for him. He's totally ensconced by popular culture. He's very much one of us. He's of our generation, I think, in in that sense, where the reality is always being mediated, me, being mediated by popular culture tropes. Now, I don't know if that was the general perspective of people in the 1840s, 1850s. But certainly Tom Sawyer is looking ahead to an America that would much more be simply a product of popular culture. And I think that's uh, one of the more kind of devastating and troublesome aspects about that character. Because he really doesn't do anything, like, at least especially not in this novel, maybe in Tom Sawyer itself, you see a moral progress to that character. But in this novel... He is just fulfilling the expectations given to him by by popular novels that he's reading. And he really likes that escape genre. And let's be frank, he probably hasn't read that many novels. He's probably read just maybe one or two. And that's his understanding of it. Or maybe he's just heard stories from people who have read them. Um, of course, there's no TV at that time for him to kind of get that. But if, he was, if Tom Sawyer was living today... He would be someone watching TV all the time and playing like those archetypes, like, you know, like someone who watches The Wire too much and then is out playing and say, well, well, one of you has to be Omar, right? And Omar has to like walk in with a shotgun at this point. And the other one's like, well, why do I have to do this? And he's like, well, that's just the way it is. That's what Tom Sawyer always says. It's like, that's the way it is. That's the way it always is in the stories. And that's the way it must be for us. So he can't escape that. He's he's totally in this kind of cocoon of fantasy. Um, and Huck Finn is trying to do something earnest and relevant to him. And that's why we have to go back to his moral um, decision, um, his decision to free Jim. It happens in chapter 31 of the novel. 
and it's really profound. Let me find the exact wording of it. So we begin with, with Huck thinking about his past with Jim. He says, but somehow I couldn't seem to strike no places to harden me against him, but only the other kind. I'd see him standing my watch on top of his instead of calling me so I could go on a sleeping and see him how glad he was when I come back out of the fog and when I come to him again in the swamp up there where the feud was and such times and he would always call me honey and pet me and do everything he could to think of me and how good he always was. And at last I struck the time I saved him by telling the men we had smallpox aboard. And he was so grateful and said I was his only, the only, I was the best friend old Jim had ever had in the world and the only one he's got now. And then I looked around to see the paper. It was a close place and I took it up and held it in my hand and I was trembling because I got to decide forever betwixt two things and I know it noteth i studied a minute sort of holding my breath and then i says to myself all right then i'll go to hell and tore it up it was awful thoughts and awful words but they were said and i let them stay said and i never thought no more about reforming i shoved the whole thing out of my head and i said that i would take up wickedness again which was in my line being brought up to it and the other weren't and for a starter i would go to work and steal jim out of slavery again and if i could think up anything worse i would do that too because so long as i was in and in for good i might as well go the whole hog end quote now this passage it's two paragraphs and you'll notice what word is not included in this passage in this moment uh i'm not i, I mean i don't know there's probably good arguments to be made that that mark twain overuses that word the n-word in this novel i don't know but the fact that it's not used at the moral center of the novel, I think is significant. I think Mark Twain could have included that word here because he used it all throughout the novel and other places, but he doesn't. He doesn't. So when Huck is at his space of moral realization that his soul is less important than that of Jim's or equals to that, equals to Jim's, and therefore he should sacrifice himself, even if it means going to hell, sacrifice himself in every way, to save him, he doesn't think of him as the N-word, right? And I, and I think that's significant. Now, it's not that the word isn't used again later in the novel, but it's often used by Tom Sawyer more than it is by, by Huck Finn, but it would take an analysis. But I'm guessing you're going to see that word used less in the later part of the story. So now, as I said, you get this playing by Tom Sawyer, who said, Playing Sid, playing uh, a thief, trying to steal a slave away from, from its master. The whole time he knows Jim's already freed. So Jim is in, locked up with rats and being forced to do things for Tom Sawyer and, and Huck Finn. That he doesn't have to do because he is a free man. He has his life, his $800, which is what he's worth. Um, but he's trapped um, by the circumstances, by these kids, by white kids, right? So again, we have a hierarchy kind of being imposed that, yeah, kids and blacks are under white men throughout the novel. But when push comes to shove, the white kids are above um, a black man, right? Obviously, that's the case in, in, in slavery. So... Um, 
Yeah, I think the story ending with his decision to move to Indian country. Um, but between that moral revelation that I just read to you and the conclusion, which is really just the last line, and it's, a, it's kind of a shame that Huck Finn doesn't disappear from the world at that point. Um, it contains a lot of moral wisdom here in this part of the novel. And I know it's often maligned and people criticize this part of the novel because Jim becomes a plaything of the boys. But again, it's only one of the boys. It's like we got to understand that Tom Sawyer is not the moral exemplar of this novel. It's, it's Huck Finn is. And as much as we like Tom Sawyer in his book and as much as we saw him grow and mature, he is always going to be a product of his culture. Right? He is not feral. Huck Finn was feral, is feral. He was mildly civilized by by Watson. So anyways, Huck writes this letter to Watson. That's what he rips up in the passage I meant. He's going to tell Miss Watson about Jim's location. He based this decision on what he'd been told, religious law, the plain hand of providence slapping me in the face and letting me know my wickedness was being watched all the time from up there in heaven whilst I was stealing a poor old woman's Negro. And then he thinks, I couldn't seem to strike no place to harden me against him. Right? I already read this. But that's the passage. That's the moral awakening, the moral gravity of his choice. It places Huck, it places Huckleberry Finn in total rebellion against civilization. He says, I never thought no more about reforming. It's not just he's going to be a thief. He is rejecting everything that society has taught him. Right. And he saw he saw society through the Duke and the King or through the the Shepherdsons and the Grangerfords or through uh, the, the criminals he sees on the street or through the lynch mobs. He's seen society and it's not pretty. He saw what reform leads to and he rejects that. Um, it's not new. I mean, Huck is always kind of feral, but he he chant, he becomes a revolutionary. He takes his resistance and he outwardly pushes it to liberate society now of course for it's just one person at this point but it's that idea that that the hierarchy itself is unacceptable and must be destroyed and the way i fight against this is by freeing who i can right it's the same logic of john brown actually that's what makes this novel so kind of revolutionary, I think. Now, one reason it's different is before he rebelled against moral reform for personal liberty, right? Go live with Pap. Go, uh, you know, escape, escape the Widow Douglas or whatever. Um, but at this point, he's willing to risk his eternal soul, essentially his life, in the aid of a friend. Um, his thoughts dwell on the solidarity that's been built up between the two, all right? Which is, of course, the foundation of any like revolutionary action is is solidarity. Now, Jim has been living as a slave in slavery on the Phelps farm, um, but he's already been freed according to Miss Watson's will. So again, we see that society is failing Jim and 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 Huck in a way. Although Huck's got Huck's got his money, he's kind of saved by the by. Judge Thatcher, right? His money is kind of preserved. He still has every dime of it. Um, 
but Tom Sawyer clings on to Huck's idea to free Jim and he makes it a game. Um, and this is a point of general tension between the two. And, and Huck actually fights back against this, saying, like, we don't have to do it this way. It's just like we just open the door, right? And we, we can get him out. We don't have to, like, make it this elaborate. We don't have to, like, dig a trench through, you know, dig it with a spoon or whatever. But Tom Sawyer wants to reenact the great escapes he reads about in these books. Huck is searching for the most effective and safe way to free Jim. Of course, thinking he's still enslaved, thinking his soul's at great risk. He's always nervous about that. And thinking about, you know, the other risks involved in his action. Now, Tom Sawyer lacks solidarity with Jim. and believes the stakes are low. Uh, knows the stakes are low. And Tom um, Sawyer can't take it seriously. So he constructs all these elaborate mechanisms instead of simply liberating Jim. It's, um, it's like the liberal perspective, to be honest. It's... Let's, uh, we'll, we'll pass some kind of parochial law or we'll, we'll have an election in two years that's going to like bring in the people who are going to pass the laws that are going to like reform society. It's like that scene in uh, the boondocks, right? Where Jasmine is like basically enslaved by Mr. Wunsler and, and Huey's like, just free the girl, right? We don't, we don't have to sit around and sing songs and chant or something. It's just... The oppression is right in front of us, and we just got to end it. So Tom Sawyer is like a liberal here, play-acting at revolution. And not actually trying to achieve it. Um, now, Huck's maybe not entirely pure, um, right? He treated Jim like a plaything earlier in the novel, but he's not now at this point. So I actually like, th like this end. I don't understand the people who maybe don't like it that much, because maybe... They, they put too much value on the character of Tom Sawyer, maybe. Um, all right, that's when they're separating the flaw, right? Where he plays with them. Um, Huck pretends it was just a dream, but Huck can't do that anymore. Huck is earnest at this point. Shared sacrifice and solidarity created the moral necessity and seriousness required of this revolutionary path that Huck pursues at the end of the story. And this is something Tom can't see or even understand. And that, that's, again, the, I think the problem of liberalism is like it can't actually see the moral. They're not at the moral certainty of self-sacrifice for something greater, for each other. They're not willing to fall on their sword for each other. They care more about like perpetuating the fight against the baddie. Right. Which ends up becoming mythologic. It becomes a story. Right. Like, oh, don't do it that way. You know, it's supposed to be done this way, right? Like, that's Tom Sawyer in the novels, right? Talking about the novels. It's supposed to be done this way. It's like the liberal politicians say, well, well you can't just forgive the debt. You got to, like, that's not how it's done in the stories. In the stories, we got to, like, forgive a little bit of the debt and then have it sued in a court case about it. And then uh, we got to, you know, maybe have some kind of income-based repayment, means-tested thing because that's how it's done it's like that's why like tom can never be a revolutionary and huck is because huck has that the shared solidarity and the moral necessity um so obviously there's a warning here against the two carnivalesque a two playful approach to revolution and resistance 
Um, now, Emma Goldman says, I don't want a revolution without dancing. But revolution's deadly serious. And that's why this novel ultimately is, is deadly serious. And it can't require play. That doesn't, it's, it's we must do it. it. What must be done must be done. It's like Lenin, right? I mean, this is, if Lenin read, read this book, he would understand, I think, what is to be done. And what is to be done is Jim needs to be freed. Um, this is what Tom says. He says, you got to invent all the difficulties. Well, we can't help it. We got to do the best we can with the materials we got. Anyway, there's one thing. There's more honor in getting them out through a lot of difficulties and dangers where there weren't one of them furnished by to you by the people who it was their duty to furnish them and you had to contrive them all out of your head. Um, so, yeah, just do what needs to be done. That's the point. So at the end of the adventures of Huckleberry, oh, at the end of the adventures of Tom Sawyer, Huck chooses to be civilized for the privilege of playing robber with Tom Sawyer. But at the end of the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, he is done playing games. He's not grown up. He's not Injun Joe, the Duke, or the King, or any other disgusting adults that we see in these stories. Tom could grow up to be the Duke. He could grow up to be Judge Thatcher. But for Huck, there is only the Indian territory for him. That's the only place for him. So, uh, yeah, only 20 minutes, I guess, to put up my thought, final thoughts on that. But, there, you know, I didn't give you the play-by-play, -play, but um, I think this is better. This is uh, w the way the novel has to be read, I think, for me anyways. At least it's how I read it. It's a warning. Like, Tom Sawyer is essentially the liberal who play-acts that change. And Tom Slayer is the revolutionary who actually wants to get it done. And who, 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 who's pulling the strings in this? It's Tom Sawyer's pulling the strings throughout the, the struggle. Huck Finn, with the real moral necessity and the willingness to sacrifice himself, is along for the ride for a lot of this and part of the novel. Right? And I, and I think that's maybe where we're at in this world, unfortunately. So, um, that's it. So, next episode, I'll look at Puddinghead Wilson. Um, just one episode on that novel. It's actually a little bit longer than 100 pages. It's more like 140 or 130. But uh, just one episode on it. It's uh, a morally very significant novel. It's written about a decade after The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I think we can talk about it fairly quickly, but it has a... Certainly, it's a very valuable book to read. Um even as short as it is, it does drag a little bit. I think it could have been told much, much more quickly, but um, we can tell Mark Twain was trying to do a couple things in that book. But we'll say more about that uh, next time. So anyways, thanks for listening, and I will see you next time. She's been here, but she's gone, boy, she's gone I found her trail in Memphis, but she just walked up the bluff She raised a few eyebrows, and then she went on down low Now won't you bat it down by Baton Rouge, River Queen